0: Well, good morning, church. This is Dallas, pastor at First Baptist Church of Jackson, and it is great to worship with you uh, from home. And I was preparing for this series about Cosmic Christmas, thinking through, uh, well, what topics do we talk about, and how do we make it through the Gospel of John's introduction, and, and how do we make our way to Christmas, and what's Christmas's message gonna be? And I was thinking that it's impossible when you talk about the cosmos not to think about how harsh and brutal the universe seems sometimes and it got me thinking about you know there's those phrases that you know of but you're like how did we come up with this phrase what exactly does that mean and I was thinking about the phrase dog eat dog world and it's a little bit strange I we all kind of understand that it's meant to imply that there's a harshness of you know a severity in which people are self-interested that will compete against each other for winner takes all um, but when you think about it, literally dog eat dog world is cannibalism of we are going to devour each other for our own self-interest and goals. And there might not be a time where that's sometimes more apparent than the Christmas season. If you know any people trying to buy gifts for kids and whatever the hot, hot toy of that season is, and it just flies off the shelves. And maybe it's the images of the stampedes happening on a Black Friday, or just in general, just the cutthroat nature of trying to get the gift you want to give someone. Uh, at the expense of somebody else. And I was talking to a guest at the cafe uh, last week and they were talking about this, you know, disappointment that there was a gift that they really, really wanted to get for someone. And every time they went to the store, the shelves were always empty. And if you try to get it online, always out of stock. And there are some people who just thrive off of this scenario because it's not that they have gifts that they're trying to give people. It's I know what the Hot Topic toy is, I'm going to acquire it for myself, I'm going to mark up the price and sell it to people who are going to give it to me. And in our current world, that's not just about going to physical stores or buying up products, but it's going online, creating bots that buy the purchases online for you, uh, all because I can make a little bit of profit. But what it means is that there are some families who barely afford the regular price, but now when it's marked up, they can't even afford it. It's this devouring world in which people are trying to get what they want and extract as much from each other as possible to get it. And so, the ruthlessness of the world, I think, is sometimes apparent in this Christmas season. Now, you all know that the world can be brutal. Uh, If we've ever watched any National Geographic or Discovery Channel video, you should not fall in love with whatever cute animal is on the screen. Because chances are the camera's going to pull back and there's going to be a predator lurking ready for dinner. And so in the midst of this kind of brutal world, what is it to talk about Christmas? I want to read for you the text that we've been reading through uh, throughout this series. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, where we will close out this series today. John writes, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made was that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to that light, though he was not that light. He witnessed to it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, or of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was who, I said, who comes after me, who ranks before me, because he was before me. Far, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And as we read through that text in the concluding section, which we hadn't talked about yet, uh, I was really struck by this language of grace. And it really puts in contrast grace versus truth. And I think that's kind of the simple binary in which a lot of us view uh, the Bible. Um, too many of us, it, it's easy to fall trap into simplifying the, the Old Testament as truth, as judgment, as you have fallen short. And the New Testament is love and grace and, and good things. Uh, but it's not as simple as that, but it is kind of visibly noticeable for us. That that's kind of the way we tend to see uh, the trajectory of scripture. And so when we think about what is it for grace and truth, For some of us, to live in a world of truth, you think, it's harsh, it's, uh, I wasn't ready for that truth, but I guess I had to hear it, Uh, it's waiting for God to throw the lightning bolt because he needs to tell you something, uh, that you have done something wrong, that you've hurt someone, and so truth comes as a painful thing instead of grace. And I was thinking about, um, what does grace exactly mean? Because I think for a lot of us, when we think about the gospel, we think more about mercy, which means that we're going to withhold the punishment someone is due. So instead of getting this sentence uh, for your wrongdoing, you're going to be forgiven. And so mercy is how we often think about the Bible and our faith, that God is ready to throw the lightning bolt to judge us, but then, oh, God relented and was merciful to us. And there is definitely an element of mercy in in the Bible and in our faith journey. But what's interesting is that John does not talk about Jesus bringing mercy. It says Jesus brings grace. And grace is about giving undeserved blessings. It's bringing the greatest gifts and laying them at someone's feet. And you're like, you didn't do anything to deserve this necessarily. It's not that you're owed this thing, but I want to give you something good. And that's the heart of God in the gospel and in the Bible is that God wants to overflow us with love, with blessings, with good things. It's not just that God's ready to punish you and thinking, well, maybe I'll hold off and that's great. Um, it's not simply that. It's this grace even beyond mercy. And I was thinking in this Cosmic Christmas series of, do we see grace in the universe? You know, in this world where it seems like predator and prey, everything's just devouring each other, is it only within our human selves that we get little moments of grace, or is it perhaps somewhere else too? And so it it took me down this fun rabbit trail of looking through research about uh, do animals ever show compassion? And there's some really interesting studies about animals and compassion. Um, there's a lot of different studies out there, and different kinds of animals studied. Uh, one example was a prairie vole, which, uh, you know, it's kind of like a prairie dog kind of animal. Uh, but the prairie vole is an animal that they mate for life. So they find their partner, they stay together, and that gives us the awe. Oh, cute, how wonderful, how nice is that? Um, but even beyond the fact that they kind of stick with their partner, um, there's some studies about the way that they comfort one another. And so just like humans, when we're hurt, when we feel sad, we have this feeling like I should put my hand on someone's shoulder. I should hug them. Uh, We want touch because touch provides some soothing um, benefits to us. It relieves our stress, it lowers heart rates, but it also identifies that kind of solidarity with someone of uh, companionship of I'm with you. Let's work together. And we see that even in these prairie voles. So I don't always want to know how these experiments came to be, but there was experiments about these prairie voles and they were measuring how often they would touch each other, particularly through kind of grooming each other, cleaning each other off, taking care of each other's fur, that kind of thing. Well, when you look at if a prairie vole gets shocked, again, not sure how they run this experiment, but if there's a shock that happens to one of the animals, its mate spends more time grooming and caring for that mate than they would otherwise. So it's they're conscious it seems like they're aware of the fact of the distress, the pain that their mate has gone through, and they're trying to comfort them. Now if you stick a different prairie vole in a crate with another one and they're not mates, they're not, they don't know each other, you can shock that one. It does not get the same grooming Uh, affection difference that happens as the mates do. But it seems like, okay, I I care about this my mate and and I want to soothe it, comfort it. And so that's interesting with just even prairie bulls. Now if you want to go from a small animal to a large animal, uh, the elephants, uh, elephants can live a long time, like 70 years. And so they live around other kind of packs of elephants and so they develop these social bonds with the other elephants in their pack. And what we have observed is, is that when a elephant passes and dies, the rest of the elephants seem to grieve and take care of each other. And you notice that they, they touch each other more often. And even most notably, the bones of their deceased friends or loved ones, however you want to describe those other elephants. Uh, when they've decayed enough and the bones are there, the elephants will come by and they will touch with their nose, they'll touch on... The bones of their loved friends that have already passed, which seems like such a delicate, compassionate, kind awareness of of pain of wanting comfort and comforting each other. When you look in the monkey world and and chimps, uh, there's a lot of really fun experiments. Uh, The one that made me laugh. uh, They put two monkeys in, in cages next to each other and the monkeys were in the cages and there was a scientist kind of person on the other side of the cage and the monkeys had to exchange something for a treat. So the scientist would ask for a rock, it would be handed a rock and then they would hand back a cucumber. And they could do this experiment of exchanging rocks or cucumbers and they said that they could do it like 25 times, the monkeys would keep taking cucumbers, keep enjoying it and would keep doing the experiment. What changed though was After they kind of had done this process once, they did a a cucumber to the first monkey, but then the second monkey monkey gave a rock, and the scientist didn't give a cucumber to the second monkey, they got a grape. So the second monkey gets a grape, and that first monkey kind of looks at it like, hey, what's going on here? But the monkey's excited, okay, I'm, I'm gonna give you another rock. So the monkey gives the second rock, and the scientist gives another cucumber to that first monkey. And the monkey looks at it, and on the videotape, turns and chunks the cucumber right back at the scientist. And then they're on the, the gate saying, come on, hey, what's, what's going on here? This isn't fair. Why don't I get treated better? What, why are they getting it? And so the scientist turns to the second monkey, gives the rock, and then gives a grape. Tries to give a cucumber again to that first monkey. The monkey is not happy. He's throwing the cucumbers because there's some sense of what should be fair, what should be just and, and right? And so we see these kind of complex emotions in these chimpanzees and and other kinds of monkeys. And so they they did some other experiments. And so um, they put one of those two monkeys in a, a section where they could pick up one of two objects. Let's say, I think it was like a green cone or a red one. If they picked up one of those, it meant that they got a treat. If they picked up the other, it meant they got a treat and the monkey next to them would get a treat. And so they did this experiment, would the monkey take things just for themselves, or would they let their friend get treats, too? And so what they found was, more than their average baseline, when it was given the option, can I get something for myself and my friend, they chose to get something also for their friend. And interestingly enough, that number would go up higher, more frequently they'd get one for them and their friend, if the friend asked for some sort of support about it, of like, nicely kind of got attention, said, hey, look at me. I kind of would like a treat too. But if the monkey next to them tried to intimidate them, tried to be angry, tried to be mean about it, the monkey picked, I only want the treat. I don't want to give a treat to this guy. And so this interesting complex, do I want to support the person around me? Do I want to have compassion or not? One last experiment on this front. Uh, They put a basket of food out in front of these monkeys. And there was two ropes because the basket was too heavy of of a apparatus that they couldn't pull it on their own. So it's really fun to see in this video, two monkeys side by side at the same time pulling. They'd grab it, pull, grab it, pull. And so they would slide this food basket to themselves. And so they needed each other to get the food. Now the interesting part of the experiment became, okay, now that we can see that they will both work together to get food, what happens if we feed one of the monkeys? Are they going to do the work or not and so they fed one of the monkeys and then they put this thing out and they need to be able to work together and the monkey who has not ate yet you know kind of taps his buddy on the shoulder, and hey buddy come on you know and so the other monkey did help it's like okay pull but the other monkey would get distracted and it kind of like go about its day and the mother monkey hey hey guy, hey, wake up and so they he worked with them worked with them worked with them and at the end of it the monkey that helped do all this work was not interested in taking a bunch of the food off of it, he let the friend who was hungry get the food. And so it's really interesting and cool to see these examples of the animal world being more gracious, more compassionate, more kind than perhaps we often give them credit for. Now, if you are a, a dog owner, and maybe also if you're a cat owner, you probably have seen these complex emotions in your own pets, or you're like, okay, they're a little bit smarter, they're a little bit more aware, they're a little bit more emotionally thoughtful uh, than people often give them credit for. And so I was thinking about that, and I was like, well, why is it that we tend, though, to imagine that the world is just so brutal, that everything is just so harsh, that people don't care for each other? And I, I started thinking that I think the reason that we think that way, the way reason we feel this way, is because that the ones who have power and control in society benefit from imagining that the world is just a brutal place. Like, if we all accept that the world is just brutal and harsh and dog-eat-dog, dog, then people aren't gonna bat an eye when your company decides, well, let's just make endless layoffs. Let's just lay everybody off right before Christmas and not care. Um, maybe if we all just accept the world is dog-eat-dog dog and harsh, we won't bat an eye when someone is ugly towards somebody else. They say all sorts of harsh things. They're unkind. And so we see these people with a lot of of wealth and power and and privilege and and high offices when they are just brutal to somebody else. We just say, ah, well, that's just, that's just politics. That's just business. That's just how the world works. But that's not actually how the universe is designed that God created us for. And so I think Well, of course, there have always been King Herods in the world, people who are willing to sacrifice all of the kids in Bethlehem. Why? Because I want to keep power as much as I can. There's always been Pontius Pilate's who say, you know what, I can go crucify this person, whether I think they're guilty or not, because you know what, I kind of like my power. I don't want to rock the boat. Uh, Let's just get rid of Jesus. And that's the temptation that we all live in is is to feel compelled to this story of of not grace, of of harshness, of hate, of anger. And so the Christmas story is something altogether different. In the Christmas story, Jesus comes not as the warrior God coming to to do battle, to to vanquish enemies through through violence. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, a baby who who has to rely on his parents. And so the gentleness of the family drama of of raising a child is the entrance of this gospel story. It's not one of of conquest and dog-eat-dog world. And so there's something in us that we need to recognize that needs to hear the Christmas story. needs to hear that good news can happen that that light can happen in darkness that hope can happen in the midst of despair that things don't have to be this brutal they don't have to be this harsh maybe we can love that god can even love the world that doesn't believe in him that god can love his enemies that maybe enemies are transformed not through violence but through love and so there's something in us that we need to recognize that needs to hear the christmas story and so one of the stories that I always love to tell people who are interested in, in learning about how to do social media and learning about how, how to use social media for ministry or for, for work and business life. Uh, there's a story that I think represents our usual humanness, which is that in April, April 3rd, 1973, um, a guy named Martin Cooper was an engineer at Motorola and he had developed uh, a new technology. He's kind of seen as the father of the cell phone. And so he's got, you know for young folks, it's, it's a big cell phone. He's got this first prototype of a handheld cell phone. And he has to make a decision of who's the first person you're gonna call to test out your technology to prove that it works, who would you call? And when I ask people who would you call, most of the time people say their spouse, their parents, their kids. And it all sounds so sweet and loving But that is not who Martin Cooper called. Martin Cooper called Joel Engel, the research chief of his rival labs who worked for AT&T's company, for Bell Labs. And so when he had the opportunity, who do I call? I want to call my competitor and say, guess what I'm calling you from? Have fun catching up to our technology. There's something in us that just wants to poke, wants to win wants to knock others down instead of just celebrating, just having joy. And so we need to confront that truth. But in the face of that truth that we need to examine in ourselves, the story of the gospel is not that that truth means that you are going to be pronounced guilty and punished and be tortured for it and disowned by God. The story of the gospel and the Christmas story is that God loves you and gives you grace. This free gift that you didn't deserve. And so on this day when we exchange gifts with one another and we open up those presents and we unwrap things that sometimes we feel like we deserve. I deserve that gift. But what if we imagine spiritually that every day we wake up and we imagine that we have a Christmas present in front of us, a free gift from God, because God loves us, not because we were owed it or earned it. And so that means the worst day where you were short with your your loved ones, where you were in a bad mood, you treated everybody miserable, and yet God was gracious to you on that day. And God is not just gracious to you that, that you, I hope that you accept it, that you can appreciate that for yourself, but also, in the midst of accepting that graciousness, may we extend that to those around us. That, you know, you might not deserve it today, but I am going to be loving to you. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to care for you. Why? Because that's the way God made this universe to be. To be good. When God created these things, he saw was good. And when he makes man in his image, he then says, this is very good. And that's what we are created to be, even when it doesn't look like it in our present world. God has made all of this thing as a good thing to be enjoyed, to be experienced. And may we be transformed and renewed by that story, not the dog eat dog story, not the fight to get ahead story, but love so that we all get to enjoy this world together. And so today, may that be good news to you as you open up presence, as, as you maybe call or are or, or present together with family. Be reminded that compassion and grace is most felt with touch. And so even the animal world knows that it needs to, to be close to one another and to care for one another. And so I hope that you're able to be with some friends or some family today, that you might feel the touch of love of somebody in your life. Um, but maybe you might tactilely, Feel that phone, uh, call family, friends, video chat with people, and maybe just sit for a moment today thanking God for all the great blessings in your life. And maybe it, it might feel like a sense of self-soothing, but instead of the like traditional pray, put your hands together, which still has touch involved, maybe just hold yourself and, and pray and ask that God might allow you to feel that love that he has for you today. And so with that, I just want to invite us to pray together and maybe we'll just feel that embrace of God together. Lord, we ask that you might make us mindful of the grace of the many blessings of the gifts that you've provided for us, both today and every day. Lord, give us eyes to see the way that you see, both ourselves, our friends, our family, those around us. Lord, help us to live out of your love, that we might be in the world where we're caring for one another, where we're supporting one another, where we're loving instead of hating, where we speak truth instead of falsehoods, where we bring the touch of love and not violence. Lord, I ask that on this Christmas day that you might be with those uh, who feel alone, that you might just warm them up with your embrace, that those who are around a lot of people might not feel kind of lost in the crowd, but might feel fully seen and present in that moment. And Lord, we ask that as you provide mercy to us and you forgive us for things where we've fallen short in this, that we might not only be free from those things, but free to live out the blessings, the possibility, the hope, that you embodied in Christmas. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray, amen.